So because of this issue behind closed doors, you seem to be trapped in an embarrassing cycle of self-sabotage where you're good, but you're never good enough, where you're meeting your deadline, but just barely like the nick of time. You're working all the time. You're always sitting at your computer where you're always on your phone. You're always quote unquote working, but six months goes by and you don't feel like you've gotten anything done. Welcome to Thriving Teacher Talk. I'm your host, Jillian Fernandez. I'm a former teacher from New York turned full-time mom and teacherpreneur on a mission to help you create a profitable and sustainable income selling your teaching resources or services. I'm here to make your life easier by giving you the best advice, trainings, and mindset shifts to grow your business, and most importantly, save you time and sanity. Welcome back to another episode. I have to say this one is a doozy. Oh my goodness. If you're listening to this episode and the title of this episode caught your attention, or maybe someone recommended it to you, it's because you're stuck in this torturing cycle of perfectionism and procrastination. Or if you're not, you're one of the rare breeds of humans that don't struggle with this. And on behalf of everyone who does, we envy you. We congratulate you on your lack of struggle in this department, because let me tell you, this is not something that I would wish upon anybody. So in this episode, we're going to dive into why, why, why why we procrastinate, why we are perfectionists, and how these two complexities interact with each other when it comes to work and in business and in taking action. And if you know anything about yourself, you're already chomping at the bit, telling yourself, okay, this is it. This is the end. I'm ready to shift this. I'm ready to change. And at the same time, a small voice in the back of your head goes, yeah, you've said that before, haven't you? But I want to equip you with the tools you need to change this habit once and for all and to set yourself free to finally stop hiding, stop playing small, and stop reiterating yourself into this tiny version of who you're truly meant to be. And so we're going to dive into all the details. Now let's go ahead and dive straight into perfectionism and procrastination and how these two complexities interact with each other. The reason I can speak on this is because I'm cut from the same cloth. And I have struggled for the majority, if not all of my life, trying to find the answers to this incredibly difficult question, which is why do we procrastinate? Why can't I just be one of those people who just gets things done ahead of time? I know that if I break it down into small bites, I can get it done over time. And what I found is that there's so many series of realizations that I've accumulated throughout my life that have allowed me to not do that myself, but to find the unique code that allows me to thrive. Even when I'm dealing with this question of why do I procrastinate? And before we get into how to fix it, I want to describe how it feels to be in this cycle so that you can identify and potentially call yourself out on this cycle. So typically, if you fall into the perfection and procrastinator archetype, nobody really knows how hard it is to be you except you. And it's an embarrassing, humiliating, or at least can feel that way thing to describe to another person of how difficult it is to take action when many other other people in your life don't have that issue. And you find yourself creating pretty good excuses about why you can't. But at the end of the day, you know that when it's just you, yourself, and I in a room, you're soothing yourself with harmless distractions until it becomes an entire day that flies by and you haven't gotten anything done. And then it's another day of you just feeling disappointed. But here's the crazy part about this. You're the overachiever on paper. Maybe you did really good in school. Maybe you just got by in school. Everyone's really proud of you. Everyone thinks you've got all your stuff together. It sure seems like it on the outside, but deep, deep down, you know that you could be doing so much more. And you know that 
you're only operating around like 20, 30, maybe 50% of your true capacity. And because of that, it just hurts. It hurts to feel like you have so much more to give and so much more to say, but the capacity that you can share these things seems to be restricted by this invisible block. So because of this issue behind closed doors, you seem to be trapped in an embarrassing cycle of self-sabotage where you're good, but you're never good enough, where you're meeting your deadline, but just barely like the nick of time. You're working all the time. You're always sitting at your computer or you're always on your phone. You're always quote unquote working, but six months goes by and you don't feel like you've gotten anything done. And then you have these big, big goals, these huge visions and dreams that you spiral into overwhelm at the drop of a hat. It's very easy for you to get overwhelmed and to feel like, ah, I can't do this right now. Or you continuously ask yourself, why haven't I gotten anything done? Why can I not focus? Why is it so hard for me to concentrate? What is wrong with me? And secretly, like I mentioned earlier, you know exactly what's going on. You soothe yourself with those harmless distractions, scrolling on social media, watching a YouTube video, reading something that has nothing to do with what you should be reading, cleaning your house, doing things that are seemingly productive, but have no correlation to what you actually know you need to be doing until it becomes this suffocating pattern of avoidance. It's avoidance of making a mistake. It's avoidance of looking stupid. It's avoidance of failure. And ultimately it's the avoidance of the possibility that you're not good enough. You're not smart enough, fast enough, motivated enough, funny enough, pretty enough, interesting enough, just not enough. And you only want to be seen under perfect conditions. And it seems like, or feels like a mental prison. Okay. So if you resonated with any of that, I totally get it. And like I said, I've battled this for most of my life. And one of the things I've learned is that you being perfect is not really what anybody actually wants. And more importantly, it's not even what you want from yourself. If you're being completely honest, because your deepest desire as a perfectionist and a procrastinator. And when I say that, I don't want you to hardcore identify with this as who you are. I'm just using it as an archetype to describe this phenomenon. But when you do identify as a procrastinator or perfectionist, your deepest desire, you want to be loved for who you are and what you do, but expressing that part of you or who you are is so difficult when you can't take action. And you probably in the past, in your childhood, had to be perfect or do everything right in order to earn love or approval of others. And that's okay because perfectionism means that it's simply an old survival system. You need to understand that survival is not enough for you. So what does that mean? We need to start messy. We need to show the world what we've got. We need to move with speed and purpose. And we need to be brave enough to share who we are right now, even though we may not match up to who we truly know we can be, because the beauty of who you are is not where you're perfect. It's where you are fearless. So you can do this, but I want to explain how these two things, perfectionism and procrastination interact with each other on a daily basis. And this is what I call the crazy eight cycle of perfectionism and procrastination. So this is what the crazy eight cycle looks like. You start off with a goal. You create this perfectly aligned dream, this vision of what you, what brand you want to have, who you want to be talking to and what kind of resources you're going to create and all of this stuff and what your Instagram feed is going to look like and what your logo is going to look like. And you know, all this amazing stuff. And you get so pumped and you envision the perfect outcome for this thing. So you start taking the first step. And then eventually as you start taking the first steps, stomach starts dropping and you realize you don't know how to do something or you're taking a long time to do it. And you don't know why or yet that you're getting caught up on what font you should be using or what clip art you should be using or something like that. And eventually self doubt starts to creep in. So you stop and you put it off. And even though it's what you want more than anything in the world, you just kind of stop doing it. And you say, well, 
I'm going to do it later. I'm going to do it later. And then you kind of start hating yourself for distracting yourself and putting it off time after time after time. Maybe multiple days will go by or even multiple hours will go by and you're just not starting on what's important to you. And you know, you want to do it. Like when you look at your to-do list, you're like, I want to do all of this stuff. But when it comes to down to actually doing it, you just can't make yourself do it. So then you build up the self-doubt, this kind of self-disgust about like, Ooh, what's wrong with me? And you would start, you know, quitting, procrastinating, putting it to the side until you envision a new different perfect outcome. And then you get excited about your vision and you start with the first step. And then you realize you don't know how to do something and your self-doubt creeps in. And this crazy eight cycle just continues without any task that you commit to doing. So you'll start with perfectionism and you hold yourself to that standard while you're doing something. And that's why procrastination comes into play to limit the amount of action you take, because you know that if you go any further, things are going to start crumbling and they're not going to be perfect anymore. And there's that part of you, this survival system that's so incredibly active that says, oh my gosh, if it's not perfect, we can't do it. It's not even worth doing. If it's not perfect, then what are they going to think? If it's not perfect, what am I going to think? If it's not perfect, then what's that going to mean for me and my reputation and who I want to be seen as and how I want to express myself. And it's so much pressure. Of course you would and be able to take action if there wasn't so much pressure attached to every single thing you do right now. A key thing I want to point out is people stop too early when they start to feel self-doubt. So anyway, why do we do this? Why do we even have these self-sabotage systems? Why do some of us struggle with this more than anything else? And this is literally the bane of our existence. And some of us don't have this at all. It comes down to four big reasons why. And after I go into the reasons why, I'm going to equip you with some tools and tactics on how you can change this. So stay tuned for that. But the reason why we start out in our lives as perfectionists or procrastinators is usually because of childhood programming. This childhood programming before we hit the age of seven in our logical mind and our reasoning brain are really not online. And we are just learning things and getting downloads and literally being programmed into what the world works like. And we need to be or do or give or have in order to receive love and be safe. This is where we learn the most pervasive things that follow us throughout the rest of our lives. Now, the thing about childhood programming is that yes, it can be done through your parents saying something to you directly or punishing you or rewarding you for something that you did or didn't do, but it can also be learned by modeling, which means you can watch something play out. Like let's say for example, your parents or somebody else you see in a relationship where someone is treating another member of the relationship very poorly. And you internalize that as a small child. It's like you learn that's what a relationship is. That's what love is. And unless someone is there to tell you, no, 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 that's not the way it is. That's not real love. Then you will internalize this as something that's normal, something that's, you know, worth tolerating and This can be done in any other scenario, not just relationships. I remember when I was a kid, I have an older brother and I learned a lot about what I could do to earn or lose love through how my older brother went through life and what kind of responses he got from my parents or authority figures in his life. And basically as a small kid, I didn't even know that I was consciously doing this, but I looked at what he was doing to earn or lose love. And I just kept replicating everything that he did to earn love. And this was my survival system. I watched through modeling what he did to earn or lose love. And then I tried my best to go down the path of earning love, earning love. So what did that make me into? Well, a people pleaser, a perfectionist, a procrastinator, and someone who was constantly looking for permission to move forward instead of an irreverent leader who, you know, doesn't care what anybody else thinks of them. Like I am more so today 
I was definitely in the camp of, I don't want to do anything wrong because I don't want to be punished. I don't want to be left alone. I don't want to be seen in a negative light. I don't want to be rejected. And so I want you to take a moment to just reflect and think back if you can to your childhood. And I know that some of us had a really rough time there. And if you can view this, this time in your life through a lens of unconditional love and compassion, realize that our parents were doing the best that they could with the resources that they had. And sometimes they didn't have very good resources. Sometimes they had great resources. So just think back to that time and figure out what you were programmed to believe, do, or think. What were the biggest values that constantly were ingrained in you as a child or throughout your early teens or high school days? What type of messages did you learn about boundaries or values about how to be, how to act, how you could be accepted? What would make you rejected? Think about that. And also what we learned through our educational upbringing. If you're anything like me, when you went through your schooling, you understood that there were different outcomes for every assignment and every project. And these outcomes had very different repercussions at home and very different repercussions in school. So just in general, there were two outcomes, right? There was passing and there was failing. And that's what we learned. If we do everything right, correctly, and we do everything perfectly, then we pass. But if we think differently or we're not quite on point or we color outside of the lines, then we fail. So if you are not the type of kid who thrives in an educational system, then you'll go through that experience feeling like a failure because you don't align or can align with the way that things were being taught and reviewed. So the education system definitely taught us a lot about what we need to do to pass or to fail. And the reason I bring this up is not to say anything bad about the education system. I mean, we're all teachers here. <laughs> it's just to say, well, look at what it taught us and how that plays out in our life today. Even when there's no punishment today for doing something wrong or doing something perfectly, we still put pressure on ourselves when we don't do things perfectly because of what we were taught and how to survive in the educational system or at home. So this is something to keep in mind. This is one of the reasons that why we play out this drama of needing to do everything perfectly because we're, we're taught to. Another thing we do that affects us in this crazy perfectionism procrastination cycle is we compare our internal state and our internal way of being with the highlights of other people's lives. And social media has been one of the most amazing gifts for us to express ourselves and connect with one another, but it's also one of the most detrimental things in understanding what reality truly is. And so we're living in this thing called like a reality distortion field where we don't see what reality really is. We see it basically as how we are. So in other words, if you're having a really bad day and you're not able to get anything done, and then you turn to Instagram stories and you see someone posting their to-do list and they're like, oh, I did this and that and this and that and the other. And I feel so amazing. I'm going to go out tonight and have a couple drinks or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then you're like, why can't I be like that? But what you don't see on the other end is that maybe they had a mental breakdown and a fight with their boyfriend. Maybe they threw a bottle of wine at them. <laughs> maybe it was really a terrible day, but they're using social media as a way to, you know, advertise their highlights and their lifestyle. You never know what's actually going on in the background of someone's content, but because of this crazy influx of content consumption that we have at our fingertips through TV, through Instagram, through TikTok, through YouTube, through Facebook, through everything, we're constantly comparing our internal to other people's highlights. And this again is a natural survival system. The only way that we can tell if we're fitting in and being safe, because ultimately on a survival basis, the only way to feel safe and fit in is 
to belong. The only way we can measure where we are in terms of status and safety is by looking around and measuring ourselves to people around us. So this is something that actually is not a problem. In my opinion, it's not a problem to compare yourself. We need comparison to inspire us to become better. We need comparison to help us understand where we're doing something right and where we could continue going as opposed to where we're falling short of who we actually want to be. But where this goes wrong, where comparison goes wrong is when it mutates into jealousy or it mutates into self-judgment. And that's where it becomes not helpful. That's where it becomes very detrimental to our mental health and our ability to get things done in our own ways and stay in our own lane. So because of this comparison mutating into jealousy or self-judgment, we're paralyzed by our own internal state because we understand very, very clearly all the things that are wrong with about ourselves, but we never really see that from other people. Now, does this mean you need to go ahead and post on Instagram? all of your flaws? <laughs> no, but I think it's up to us as individuals to take the responsibility, not to expect everyone to share their dirty laundry online, but to expect ourselves not to compare ourselves to someone who's advertising this perfect lifestyle or this perfect highlight. Another reason why we participate in this crazy eight cycle is because we're hiding from the fact that we doubt we'll ever be able to actually follow through. The best and simplest and most painful answer that I could give you about why you procrastinate, why you are a perfectionist is because it it's your way of hiding. Perfectionism is a very cute and socially appropriate disguise for crippling insecurity. That's another thing that really hurt when I realized it. And when I accepted that as truth, because I realized that if I was just trying to be perfect, it was because I was masking this incredible sense of insecurity. If I was trying to procrastinate, it was because I was hiding from having to actually follow through. And so I would just waste away my days and scroll or clean my house or do things that were not actually productive for me and for my business. And the fourth reason why we do this is because we're really, really good at creating clever excuses. Now, this is something that is very pervasive because we can't often tell we're creating excuses versus when we're actually, you know, stopped or blocked by something real. And so our excuses could look as harmless as, oh, well, something came up and I wasn't able to get it done today. Like, my dog threw up and I had to clean it up. And then I was just out of it, you know, like my flow wasn't there. And then I couldn't get back into my flow or it could be as sneaky as, hmm, well, I actually have to do this one thing because I told this person I would do it. So I couldn't do what I wanted to do today, but tomorrow I'm going to do it. And we all have these incredibly clever excuses as to why we keep putting things off. My challenge to you, my invitation to you is to eliminate all of your excuses, all of them. And I know that's easier said than done, but the reason I'm so committed to this invitation for you to eliminate all of your excuses and to stop tricking yourself into believing that something is getting in your way is because there's a lot you can allow to get in your way. So the question really is, when are you going to get sick of those excuses and commit to doing away with all of them? I can tell you that this is your golden ticket to getting exactly where you want to be in life and exactly who you want to be in life will show up and start integrating into your being. As soon as you burn the bridges to all that keeps you hiding and all that keeps you safe and all that keeps you small, whew, let me tell you. So those excuses need to go. So how can we fix this? Let's dive into some ways that we can help do away with procrastination and perfectionism. Now, you're not lazy. This is another thing I want to make super, super clear. You are not lazy. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not alone. You're going to be okay. And you're going to get through this. And this is something that you can absolutely ascend. I'm speaking from experience. You are not lazy. You just need better tools. So here's the first tool I want to give you to your anti-procrastination and perfectionism journey. It's healthy leveraged 
pressure. Yes. So if you're a procrastinator, you don't have enough healthy leveraged pressure to help you stay accountable to put yourself on the limelight or on the line. So what I recommend for healthy leveraged pressure are a couple of different things. Accountability needs to be your end goal. And the thing that you invest your time and energy into formulating right now, what works best for you? Is it maybe creating a co-working date with someone on Zoom and hopping on and doing one or two hours of uninterrupted time together? This is something we've actually been doing in Thriving Teacher Academy. We've been setting up co-working meetings with our rock star thriving teachers so that we can get together for a common goal. And you're not there to talk. You're there to hold each other accountable to working for a block of time and getting a specific project done during that time. So if you need help doing this and getting an accountability partner, guess what you can do? You can simply post on Instagram and say, I'm looking for an accountability buddy who's looking for this too, or post in our thriving teacher gram tips, Facebook group, asking for an accountability buddy and just say, who wants to do a virtual work date and hold each other accountable for getting things done. This is something that so many people will leap on in terms of the opportunity to get an accountability buddy that all of us are so desperately starving for right now. So if you want accountability and you need some healthy leveraged pressure, please do that. Another thing to add healthy leveraged pressure is to put due dates on everything that you do and understand that your first iteration is something that you probably will hate and that's okay. And if you are proud of your first iteration, you haven't moved fast enough. (laughs) That's something I learned the hard way. If I was proud of all the first resources that I released to the public on TPT, in fact, thinking back now, the resources that I released into the public and launched and shared right away that I was the least proud of (laughs) and thought were the least perfect are actually the ones that are the highest converting things that I've done. So speed and implementation trump perfection all day long. So just get it out, get it over with. So healthy leverage pressure needs to be the first thing you strive for. The second thing is something I like to call sprint sessions. In other words, this technique, it's actually called the Pomodoro technique, is a work sprint format where you work for 20 minutes on uninterrupted and you work 20 minutes straight, you just go, go, go. And then you stop at the 20 minute mark, but just to sit there, breathe, drink water, not to distract yourself or stimulate yourself or go on Instagram, nothing like that. Just, you can breathe, drink water, walk around, whatever you need to do to completely disengage from the screen for a moment for those five minutes. Then you go into another 20 minute sprint of work. And at the end of the 20 minutes, you stop drop it like it's hot. (laughs) And then you take another five minutes off and you repeat the cycle. So if you do a couple of these sprint sessions, I guarantee your productivity will skyrocket because you're not only training your brain to get into a flow a lot faster, but you're also giving yourself an out and you're saying, okay, all I need is 20 minutes. And then I get to have a break. So you're more motivated to move through that 20 minute block of time, as opposed to, if you say to yourself, I'm going to work for three hours straight today, because that's such a huge stretch goal. That's not digestible or broken down. And you're going to resist that, especially if you're already dealing with this crazy eight cycle. Cool. So to sidestep the operations in your brain and in your system right now that are preventing you from getting started, just say, I'm going to start with 20 minutes. I'm going to do the first three things I'm going to do list. And then I'm going to take five minutes off. And then I'm going to tackle the next one to two things on my to-do list and take five minutes off. So the reason why we want to break everything down into sprint sessions are number one, obviously it gives our brain a break and it allows us to operate in the most healthy way possible when it comes to working and taking breaks. It also allows our goals to be digestible. And one thing you'll find once you implement this strategy is that tasks take (laughs) just as long as we give them to get them done. So if you give yourself eight hours to build something, guess how long it's going to take you? going to take you eight hours. And that's if you actually work on it. But if you give yourself 20 minutes to get a particular task done, guess how long it's going to take you? 
20 minutes. So what we want to do is restrict the amount of time that we're able to overthink and restrict the amount of things that we're able to do in that time period. So we're actually moving through the to-do list as we intended without getting distracted, without getting overwhelmed and without getting, you know, burnt out. So a sprint session, 20 minutes on five minutes off three or four rounds of those is going to be your best bet. The third thing is to go on a low information diet. So that means restricting your screen time and restricting the amount of time that you consume content. So if you're in this typical distraction phase where you're constantly scrolling or consuming or even trying to learn something new, doing something to distract yourself from actually being and working and doing, you're going to want to do something about the fact that you're in this constant flow of consuming information. And guess what? Even when you're passively scrolling, your brain needs to articulate, understand, and digest and assimilate everything that you see into comparisons, into judgments, into beliefs, into systems, values, everything. So even if you think you're relaxing and you're just scrolling passively, you're just checking things out and you're not really doing anything, your brain is still processing overload, overloads of information from those content consumption platforms. So be honest with yourself and say, am I actually working or am I doing something productive with that amount of time that I'm spending on consuming information? If the answer is yes, then great. But if the answer is no, then I would recommend a low information diet, which means restricting your consumption time. And notice how your dopamine response changes dramatically and how much calmer you feel and how much more in flow you feel and how much easier it is for you to act actually create when you're not overloaded with consumption. So giving yourself low information is absolutely recommended for those of us who are procrastinators and perfectionists. And in the words of Drake, Drizzy Drake, (laughs) one of his lyrics in his songs was you're spending way too much time on captions and not enough time on actions. So thank you, Drake, for that one. And if you need any other support, I'm here for you and I'm cheering you on. I am in your corner. You can do this. I believe in you and I love you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did find it super valuable, make sure you screenshot, post and tag me on Instagram so I can stalk your profile and we can connect more. And to get notified on the next episode, go ahead and subscribe so you never miss a beat. Get out there and do the damn thing. I can't wait to chat with you next time as we are continuing to prioritize our growth. If something resonated, please leave a review or just send me a DM. Thank you for letting me into your business and your life today. We are going to love growing together as you create a profitable and sustainable income selling your teaching resources or services. I'm so honored to be here to make your life a little bit easier with the best advice, trainings, and mindset shifts to grow your business. And most importantly, save you time and sanity. I'll see you in the next one.